Okay, last time we met, we ended with the understanding that uh, two things go on in the Christian life. One is that you are a new creation as soon as you are born again, and the other, and so therefore, you have been covered in the righteousness of Christ. And the other thing is that you must lay aside the old man and put on the new. So in, in some ways, the whole paradox of Christianity is that what we do in, after we believe is, is become what we already are. So it's really quite a, a difficult concept to hold on to uh, because I don't think there's anything like it in human, human existence. Uh, God calls us um, glorious. He calls us saved saints. That's what he calls us. But the process of that is what we walk in for our whole life. So in that way, we become what we already are. And that's what Paul talked about in Ephesians and Colossians, which was what we looked at um, last time. This idea of laying aside the old man, putting on the new. And the way that you do that, there's a connecting link between how you lay aside the old man and how you put on the new. And the connecting link was, how do you do it? Or how does that begin? It's not believing in Jesus because you're already a new man in Jesus, you're a new creation. But in the day-to-day -day process of your saying, you do it by renewing your mind. That's how you do it. When Paul writes it in Ephesians and Colossians, he says that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, or he, he says renew your mind. When he writes it in Romans, he says, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's always the renewing of your mind. That's how you do those two things. So, um, that leads us then to think to ourselves that everything we read in the scripture is with the purpose of us renewing our minds. So, we're going to read John 15, John chapter 15. Um, we'll read all the way through that chapter and, and finish at verse 1 of chapter 16. So, maybe if a few people read. Um, yeah. So just a few, you know, just read a few verses and someone else will take it up. John 15, 1 through 16, 1. I am a true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Mm -hmm. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. <clears throat> abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full.
command is this, <clears throat> love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would treat you with affection and would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, are no longer one with it. But I have chosen, selected you out of the world. The world hates, detests you. Remember that I told you, a servant is not greater than his master, is not superior to him. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word and obeyed my teachings, they will also keep and obey you. But they will do all this to you, inflict all this suffering on you, because of your bearing my name. And on my account, for they do not know or understand the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I have not done among them the works that no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, and the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Just verse 1 of 16. Um, please. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. Thank you. Okay, so Jesus is talking to the 11 disciples. Judas has just left. He began this conversation in John 13, and he'll finish it in John 17. And um, it's one conversation. He's probably moved out of the upper room and started to walk down towards the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's almost certainly in a vineyard because he uses the vine as the picture of what he wants to tell them. And he always did that. He used what was on hand to to uh, explain um, some truth to them. So he's almost certainly in this vineyard, and he begins, and in these, in these verses, he tells them of three different relationships. And the, the, they're the basis of uh, Christian life, they're a basis of how to uh, follow him. So he talks about three relationships. What, who are the relationships with in the whole chapter? 
just when he's talking to the disciples. So just think about not his relationship, but the disciples' relationship. He talks about three separate relationships that they will have. The first one is with him, their relationship with him. The second one is the second one is the, their relationship with each other. And the third one is their relationship with the world. And he tells you in there um, exactly how they are going to effectively relate to those three different things. So how are they supposed to relate to him? Remain. They're to abide in him, remain in him. That is the way a disciple relates to Jesus. That is the way the relationship is set that the disciple abides or remains in Christ. How are they to relate to each other? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, but, but how will they relate to each other? What's the thing? What did you say, Eve? Love one another. He's already said this in John 13. He said, all men will know that you're my, dis my disciples if you love one another. And so he's now telling them that the way we relate to one another, the way disciples relate to one another, is that they love one another. And he's not talking about a mushy sort of love. You know that the love he talks about is agape love. And he tells you what that love is like because he says, uh, no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So he's not talking about a soft emotional love, only emotional. There's nothing wrong with emotional love, but he's not only talking about that. He's talking about an active love that actually sacrifices for the sake of another person. So how do we relate to Jesus? We abide in him. How do we relate to one another? We love one another to the point of sacrifice. And how do we relate to the world? Because that was the third relationship. How do we relate to the world? Separate from it, really. Separate from it, yeah. So, but we are in the world, so, and, and there's a purpose for us still being in the world. So what's the purpose? To tell people about Jesus. He says, and he, when the helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. So our relationship, or those disciples whom he's talking to, and us by extension, our relationship is that it, with the world is simply that we testify to it about Jesus. So it's really clear, actually. His, these are the three, this is what we have to do. We have to, our relationships are with him, with each other, and with the world. And this is what we do. We, to relate correctly to Jesus, we abide in him. To re relate correctly to each other, we love one another. And to relate correctly to the world, we testify to the world about Jesus. Um, now then, that's interesting to me, because he begins with a statement and he starts to talk to them about something that I think otherwise they might not understand. His first line is, I am the true vine. Mm -hmm. And he uses the last of his I am statements in John, um, in John's Gospel. I am the true vine. Who would those disciples have understood the vine to be? Israel. Israel. Because the, um, the Old Testament is full of examples of God calling Israel the vine. Um, I could give you a couple, Psalm 80, 8 and 9, Jeremiah 6, verse 9, Hosea 10, verse 1, many, many, many uh, scriptures that talk about Israel being the vine. Could you say those again? Yes, Psalm 80, verse 8 and 9. 
8, yeah, same, Psalm 80, 8, 0, 8 and 9, Jeremiah 6, verse 9, and Hosea 10, verse 1. Um, when, uh, when you read those scriptures, we'll just read one. I think we'll read Hosea chapter 10, verse 1. And you'll get an idea of uh, this thing about the vine. Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit, the more altars he made. The richer his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. Their heart is faithless. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their sacred pillars. So um, in, other, in others of those scriptures you read that God took the vine from Egypt and planted the vine and he, then he watered it, then he nurtured it. And if he did that, what was he expecting from Israel? Fruit. Fruit, he was expecting fruit. And what did they produce? Nothing. Nothing. They did not produce fruit. So he, God longed for fruit from Israel, but they didn't produce it. They became degenerate and rotten. And now here on the scene is Jesus saying, I am the true vine. You are to abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Yeah, we come. So think about the things we're supposed to do and turn them into what Jesus didn't do, or what the, uh, Israel didn't do. So Israel did not do what? In their relationship with God, they did not? Yeah, in, in Jesus' words, they did not abide in God. They did not remain in God. They turned away from God. How did they relate to one another, Israel? Quarrelling, division. They did not love one another. And then how did they relate to the world? They, the, re the world around them were abashed, a, a, a I can't think of the right word, uh, of their, their behaviour. It was disgraceful and distasteful. And they said that they sacrificed their children to Moloch and... As did, the, as did the, la the nations around them. So basically, they didn't testify about God to the nations. They just joined the nations around them and became like them. Because they could see possibly that they were prosperous and they wanted to be prosperous too. Exactly. But, so well, for whatever reason, Israel, who was supposed to correctly represent God, did not do so because they did the three things that Jesus is telling disciples to do, they refused to do. And so... The Jews will know this, the disciples will know this. When he talks to them about being the true vine in a way that we don't always understand, they will understand because all of their Old Testament prophets were calling them back, saying, I, I planted this vine and I expected fruit and I haven't got any. And these disciples will understand at least a lot of that in a way that we did not understand it. So when he says, abide in me, love one another and testify to me, that's exactly what Israel should have done. So he's not saying something new. He's just reiterating, really, what it's always should have been the case of people who belong to God and love God and want to live for his glory. But he's pointing them to a different way than the way. So now think about that and think about what he's going to go on to say. Because in these verses, there's some really difficult things to understand and people get really hung up on it about being cut off like a branch and burned in the fire. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what, what did God, you've already said to me, what did God want from the vine, Israel? He wanted fruit. 
So what does Jesus say in verse 2? He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. He mentions that he uses the word fruit eight times in these verses. Fruit's a really important word, and it's the, it's the most important thing in this chapter. God desired fruit from Israel, and they did not produce it. And they did not produce it because they turned away from him. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 to 7. Um, let me sing now for my let me sing now for my well beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard my well beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill he dug it all around removed its stones and planted it with the choicest vine and he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it then he expected it to produce good grapes but it produced only worthless ones and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedges and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold a cry of distress. The whole of the Old Testament has verses like this in them where God is weeping, really, over the state of his, um, his people. And really, Jesus picks up this refrain as he's walking down towards his death and he's leaving these 11 disciples and those who will subsequently follow on, he's leaving them with instructions on how to live as a believer. Because if they look to their own history and their own ancestors, they're going to go the wrong way. And so he's, he starts to talk to them in uh, John 15 about every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father cuts off. And I don't think he's talking about the same thing that Paul is talking about when he says, in me. When Paul tells us that we are in Christ, I don't think Jesus is saying, if you are in Christ, you're going to be cut off. Because for Paul, it was impossible to be cut off if you were in Christ. So if that's the case, then we should be able to look at these scriptures and say, oh yeah, of course, he's talking about this. But that's what we're going to do. Um, and it sounds more like the olive tree, doesn't it, with the branches that were broken off? Yes, yes. But I don't even think it's like that, Eve. I think it's something different. He's using the vine and the branches because he wants to teach them something fundamental. What is it? If you, just, if you didn't know anything else and you just thought, right, I'm, I'm not supposed to be a branch and he's the vine, so what's the fundamental thing I've got to remember? The necessity of being abiding in him. Ah, uh, yes, the necessity of being, abiding in him, remaining in him. Because, why? Because apart from him, I can do nothing. And you've got to be a real branch. Right. You just know about the branches. Exactly. What's just happened? Thank you, Mike. What's happened? What's just happened in these chapters? Can you remember what happened at the end of John 13? 
Judas left. Judas left. The 12th disciple who had been traveling with Jesus, who looked like a disciple, who taught like a disciple, who dressed like a disciple, who had been with them for three years, he's just gone out to betray him. And so Jesus has said, the one who takes my, this morsel is going to betray me. And they're all saying, is it me? Is it me? Mm-hmm. And it's Judas. Judas goes out. So what do you think he's trying to get them? He's using, they've just literally seen Judas leave. Mm-hmm. He's then finished up the Last Supper. He's telling them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. They don't really get it. But they've seen Judas leave. And by now they're thinking, this, it must be him then who's going to betray him. And so now they're coming to the vineyard and he's saying, every branch that does not bear fruit gets cut off. Why? Because it's obviously not part of the vine. Because if you're part of a vine, you always bear fruit. It's impossible if you are a, a vine on the branch, on the vi- a, a branch on the vine, sorry. It's impossible not to bear fruit. Do you see what I mean? So if we look at it from that way and then see what he says, or cross-reference it to what Paul says in Romans 2. Can you remember what Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 2? You can. As soon as I say it, you'll, you'll know. Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. So can you see how Paul's taken, I mean, God's speaking through Paul, but he's taken the same statement. You might look like a branch, you might dress like a branch, you might even speak like a branch, but if you don't bear fruit, you're not a branch. You might be circumcised as a Jew. You might be from the family of Levi. You might do all the right things and make all the right sacrifices, but unless your heart is circumcised, you are not a Jew. Do you see? And, and so this is not different to anything else in Scripture. This is the same thing. Um, so now look at what he says. A branch that bears no fruit is obviously dead. So if his father is the vine dresser, why would he leave a dead branch on the vine? What happens if you don't cut off the dead branches? It restricts the growth of the rest. I mean, you know that. I have roses in my garden. You deadhead the roses because you want more roses to come, more fruit to come. And that's what he's saying. If a branch is not bearing fruit, it's dead. It might look like a branch, but it is not a branch. And so my father will cut it off. And then, um, like Judas, you know, sorry, so like Judas, uh, the branch is cut off. Every year in Israel, apparently, they they go and they prune all the branches off the the vines. They would have seen that with their own eyes. They would have known what he was talking about and understood it completely. And it wouldn't have been to them, oh no, does that mean I'm not saved? Because they didn't even understand salvation. They didn't really know what that was going to be like. He's talked to them about sending the Holy Spirit, but they don't know that the Holy Spirit's going to indwell them. They don't understand all the ramifications of that. It's only us looking back that we see it. And even then we struggle sometimes. 
They did not understand it and he's teaching them, teaching them. And what he wanted to tell them above everything else is, make sure you remain in me. Abide in me. How do you abide in Jesus? How do you abide in Jesus? You spend time with him. You obey him. Yeah, I mean, all of those things are great, but you do those things because you abide. They don't make you abide in him. Actually, you can't make yourself abide in Jesus. How could you possibly do that? You couldn't get yourself in in the first place, and you can't keep yourself in. So if God doesn't do it, you're stuck. But his promise is, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you have believed in him, received his spirit, and he is in you, then fruit will be the outcome of your life. You may not see loads of it at first. There'll be some branches much more fruitful than you. You might only have one apple every other year, but you will have fruit because you can't be alive, a live branch, and not have fruit. So this is not to worry. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I've had no fruit. He's going to cut me off. I'm not really saved. Because they didn't have any understanding of that at all. None at all. So what Jesus is saying is, is a, a real wonderful thing because he knows they want to bear fruit. He knows they want to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. They're still with him. They've been with him. He knows their hearts. John chapter 2 says Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. So he knows what's in their heart. He knows they want to bear fruit. He knows what's going to happen in their future. He knows all of that. And what he's telling them is, stay with me, stay in me, abide in me. Just remain in me. So what must you do to remain in Jesus? Because it's an instruction, remain in me, abide in me. What must you do? What What was the only thing you were asked to do, Mike? Believe. It was the only thing. You have to keep trusting the Lord. You weren't asked to do anything else. Confess and repent, repent and confess, whatever way you look at it. When you're confessing and repenting, repenting is a turning around. You were going your own way and you turned back to God and you believed, I cannot get to God except through Jesus. He is the Saviour. He is my my redeemer he came for me and paid the price for my sin mm. and and i and, and and if you believe that you are in christ jesus so really all the only thing you could do was to believe that do you see what i mean so abiding in jesus of course it starts off this wonderful sequence of events that gets you to want to know him more and study his word and pray and talk to people about him but those things don't keep you in him those things are just the evidence of you being in him they are the fruit of your life so is it okay if i just sit here and believe for the next 20 years and that's okay it is like are you sure yes what do you mean by if you just sit here and believe (laughs) well what do you mean uh, by that um, belief turns to action, doesn't it? Well, that turns be, to commitment, turns to a whole lot of other things. It, you know? it does, but that's, that's something that happens after you're in Christ. Yes. It's, it's not, it didn't get you into Christ because you hadn't done any of that. No. All you had done is cried out to God, I cannot get to you and I believe you yes. came for me. That's all you did. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then God made you promise on promise on promise. 
So then you started walking with him. And he said, if you walk closely with me and you read my word, you're going to be so strong and so full of joy. So you read his word and you loved it. And then you started telling people about him because he's so wonderful and you wanted to tell them. And as you did, you received his joy, his, which made your joy full. But you didn't do any of that to stay in him. You did that because you were in him. That's the thing. So I'm not preaching easy believism. I'm preaching that if you really believe that you cannot get to God, that you are lost without Jesus, then you are born again mm. so and given the Holy what's Spirit. What's the best way to sustain that belief? Uh, what do you mean? Can I, can I interject? Yeah. yeah. On Sunday, they had a challenge, which was basically the sheep that hid in a cave because it didn't want to be shorn. Oh, right. Um, and it was quite clever, because basically it isolated itself. It was, you know, part of the flock. Mm-hmm. But it's very easy. You do see Christians who, I, I, I hear what Mike mm-hmm. said, you know, sort of sit around, they believe. They really do believe. But actually, they don't sort of almost come into the fullness of what God has for them. Right. I think that's possible, yeah. So, yes, I, you know, abide, whatever. But for instance, even if I stop, if I don't read so much, it's easy to sort of not slip away. You're always going to be in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But I, I hear what Mike's mm-hmm. saying. But, yes, I do too. I, can I just say this first, Mike, because this yes. might say what you're going to say. I don't know, but... Um, Probably not, but I'm sure it will, Mike, completely. Um, the thing is, how do you know that you have believed in Jesus? There's a change. I mean, I do. There was a massive change in my life. Right, right. It's ongoing. That's the thing. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. You didn't have one moment back in 19, whenever, 85, where you put your trust in the Lord Jesus and wow, that was amazing. That moment was wonderful. And I have never had a moment like that again. And I really don't know much about him. That's impossible. That doesn't exist. That believer does not exist. This is what we, we what the whole of the Bible tells us is, it is continuing in the faith that proves the faith. It's that you grow in your faith, that there's fruit, there's evidence of your faith. Yes, it's continuing. It's a continuous believing. And that continuous believing will have evidence. I'm not saying that you'll, you'll you know, memorise ten scriptures a day and it, you'll be a wonderful person within five years and suddenly you'll love all these people because you won't. You know. <laughs> but what I am saying is there is change. And the reason there's change is that you are in Christ and he is in you. How could that be that there's no change? If God lives in me, there must be change. If there's no change, God is not living in me. There's no other option. So now, think about this. What does he go on to say in John 15? What does Jesus go on to say? He says, the the Father, uh, any branch that doesn't bear fruit, the Father uh, cuts off. And then he says, you are, and then, uh, sorry, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So what does that mean? 
maybe, maybe, maybe. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. What does he mean that I am already clean? Because the word clean here is exactly the same as the word prunes in the Greek. It's the same word. You are already pruned, so the Father prunes you. Well, for us, I believe it means cutting off television. Uh, Don't tell me what you believe it means. Sorry. What? No, no, it, I, I know, because I could say the same things, but what does it actually mean? Because there, there's a real a difficult thing that's happening here, because he says you're already pruned, mm. so the Father prunes you. But over time, the renewing of the mind, which then becomes like Christ. Isn't that the, the you start becoming what you already are? Yes. Because you already are what you are. Because you already are what you're going to be because you are in Christ Jesus. But in your lifetime, you have to become what you already are. I know it's gobbledygook, but it's, that's what's happening. But it's sanctified and then the process of sanctification and then the process of being sanctified. Exactly. It is. You are already 100% sanctified in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament will say it like this in Leviticus. Be holy, for I am holy. Tremble. Who could be holy because God's holy? And then two chapters later, I am the God who will make you holy. It's like God is doing what he has already done. So Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I spoke to you. That is, you are already pruned because, I, because of the word I spoke to you. What word did he speak to them? What's he talking about? What word? all of his words to Probably, it's probably all, but specifically, what will it be? Because he doesn't say words, he says word. So what, what, what will they have, why, what, what would have made them pruned, cleaned, cleansed? Believing that he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. Yes. They have believed he is the Messiah. They don't understand the ramifications of it. I don't think they fully believe that he's going to have to die. They don't have any idea of the resurrection, I'm sure. But they have believed he is Messiah. Remember when Andrew got Simon Peter, the very first thing is, we have found the Christ. And they followed him because they believed he was the Messiah. John the Baptist, this behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they followed him because of that. They have already believed that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Messiah, which must have been an enormous thing for them to believe. So they've believed that. And what Jesus says is, that has made you clean. Do you remember, go back a couple of chapters in John 13. What does Jesus do at the Last Supper? He wants to wash their feet. What does Peter say? Wash all of me. Yeah, wash all of me. He says, you've already, you're already clean. That's what he says in John 13, and that's what he says in John 15. You're already clean, but I have to wash your feet. Mm. It's the same thing he's saying now. The Father, you're already pruned. You're already cleansed, but the Father will prune you. What will he prune you for? To make you bear more fruit. Mm more fruit. So if this is true, if this is true, then what do you want more than anything? To be pruned. To be pruned. <laughs> exactly. Because you are already pruned, you want to be pruned. You want to be cleansed. Change it. Because you're already clean, you want to be cleansed. But we don't. We do, but we don't. 
Pruning's uncomfortable. Cleansing's much nicer. Yeah. We do, but we don't. But there is that desire in you. There's that desire in you. You do have that desire to live. Exactly. The spirit in you wants to live for the glory of God. You want to. You find that desire in you. And if you don't have that desire in you, at least in small measure, are you really in Christ and him in you? Yeah, but in Corinth, they obviously were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about the disciples. I know, but that's what I'm saying, is people can say the words. Yeah, exactly. This is what he's trying to say. Yeah. You can say the words. You can even look like a believer yeah. all yes. of your life. Right, right. Yeah. But it's your heart condition. So even those people who don't look like believers, who are still swearing and got full of tattoos, and who do stuff that you think, oh, that's terrible. They might be believers because their heart condition is the right heart condition. I don't know. I'm not trying to make sweeping statements. What I'm saying is only God can see the heart. But what we can know is if I'm truly saved, I want to live for his glory. I want to bear fruit. I do. And I know without him I can't. So if you don't, then you're not really saved. Well, if you don't, you need to check out why not. Mm. Why don't you? Are you the sheep in that in that picture who's got yeah. lost in a cave and is actually okay because I'm a bit scared to come out? Yeah. Okay, so not only scared, but I mean, of course, but uh, but also I've been a Christian for so many years and I have a disease which has never been healed and it doesn't really matter what you say to me now. Uh, I I can't take it in. I, I can't believe. I can't. But I still go to church and I still see. No, no, but you said it. I can't believe. And and in the Bible says there's no such thing as I can't believe. The statement is I won't believe. I won't then, yes. So Mm -hmm. I I refuse to believe. That's what you've said. Whether you go to church, whether you you did believe, Mm -hmm. whether you, whatever, it doesn't matter. You're refusing to believe. Therefore, you are not remaining in Christ Jesus. Yes. Therefore, you cannot have ever been in Christ Jesus because those who are are safe forever. I can't explain every detail of that. And the Bible doesn't explain every detail. And this is not really for anybody else. It's for you. Could you just say that again? That you said that if, they, if that reaction is part of their persona, then they probably never believe? Yes. There's a, there's a promise in the Bible that God is faithful. He is faithful. And he will hold on to you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. If you're his in the first place. Yes. But if you're not, if if you did have some experience, and it was wonderful and miraculous, and you walked up, you raised your arms, and it was all fantastic, and the music was great, and all your friends went up, and like me at a Billy Graham concert, concert, crusade, I went up at a Billy Graham crusade, and I'm sure I prayed the sinner's prayer, but it meant nothing to me. Because I got home, and I just went my own way. So I wasn't saved then. Some people tell me I was saved then. No, I wasn't. I wasn't saved then because I did not remain. I didn't abide. I didn't go on. I had absolutely no desire in me to live for Christ. I wanted to live for myself. And so I went on until I was 40. Mm. Now then, then, when I'm presented with the truth of Jesus and I remember the things from my childhood and I remember walking up to the, in the Billy Graham crusade and I know that I prayed that prayer and I know what it means. Now I can pray and mean it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Were you, when you came to that realisation, did you 
then have a desire to be baptized by total immersion? No, not instantly. No, oh my goodness, I didn't come into all that till later. I didn't. No, so I mean, that was eventually what the outcome was. Of course, I was baptized by full immersion six months later because my pastor told me that's what you do now. So I did it. I was discipled by someone who told me this is what we do, this is what Christians do. Yes. No, I had received the Holy Spirit when I prayed. But I learned to walk with him and listen to him and talk to him. And I learned the basics of being a Christian. And that's why I'm so big on discipleship. Because if I hadn't, I'd have been lost in the woods. I don't mean I'd have been lost necessarily in salvation terms. But I would have spent years in the wilderness wandering around. Do you think it's fair to say that a branch it grows out of the stem? It starts off well and then can get rotten. And therefore that rottenness in the branch can actually affect the whole vine. I, I, I definitely think that's true. But I do think, Simon, that the, the reality is um, God will prune you. Mm. He will to bring more fruit. So there's no such thing as a branch that doesn't bear any fruit. That doesn't exist. I, I, about the branch that did have some fruit and then died off and how do we know that it might not come on the, the Lord will probably prune it really hard right back to like my garden does in my garden you know I look at the bushes in the garden I think they're never going to grow again because he's come back so hard and then within a few months they're blooming doesn't the gardener say in the story one of the stories that I'll dig around it again and give it and a yes, chance and yes he does yes yes but you see, the thing is, I, I just want us to get our heads out of yeah. our ordinary way of thinking. God wants you more than you want God. That's like the bottom line. He came himself for you. He came for you when you were an enemy, when you were a sinner, when you were at your worst, and he would do it again. So there's no such thing as God letting go of someone who wants him. That's just not going to happen. He wants you. He loves you with a love that is overwhelming. We can't even imagine the depth of it. Paul will pray in Ephesians 3, oh, that they could understand this love of Christ, the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of it, that, you know, this love that surpasses anything. So it's, there's nothing about God that is insufficient to produce fruit in you. The only reason that you would not be producing fruit is that you don't want to produce fruit. And the only reason for not wanting to produce fruit is that you are not on the vine. What other reason is there? Ask, seriously, don't think about anybody else. Think about yourself. Do you want to produce fruit? Yes, you might struggle to do it. You might get distracted a lot sometimes because life's too good or too bad and you get distracted. But the bottom line at the base of you, do you still believe that Jesus Christ is God? And that you couldn't get to God without Him. I mean, that's I, that's the bottom line. To say, uh, mm. I I believe that for myself, mm -hmm. but the outworking of that has got to be, um, and because as you bless others, you bless yourself. So the outworking of that has got to be uh, ways and means of blessing other people to show that being a disciple of Jesus has meat. It works. Yes, in a perfect world, with everything going normally and, and the road calm and not going up and down and nobody fighting, throwing arrows and bombs at us, maybe that's true, you know, yes. But let's take an example, and this is purely fictional. 
Let's say that someone comes to the Lord and then they are struck immediately by a paralysing disease and they can't get out of their bed and the only person they can talk to about the Lord is the nurse who comes in, who happens not to be interested in the Lord at all. So the person who has received the Lord is lying paralysed in bed, never regains any movement in their body, never has the opportunity to open a Bible for themselves or pray, or, or they can pray obviously, but no Bible. Would you see any fruit in that person's life? Almost certainly not. Are they a believer? Of course. So your, your hypothesis is correct in normal events, but there's no such thing really as a normal life. Because we all have different things going on all the time that are, 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 are coming at us. Should we have normal Christian life? Yeah. <laughs> You're talking in terms of evangelism, Oh, no. I, no, but what I'm saying is from the outside, we wouldn't see that. Yeah. Only she would know that. Yeah. So she would, this person would have this prayer life, and God would be answering absolutely definitely. But what, what Mike is saying is that it has evidence. You're going to see the evidence of it. And we might not see the evidence of it in someone else's life. That's why it's very dangerous to, to judge someone's salvation. But also, I think saw how much fruit they were bearing. Yes. You could be a little overwhelming. Exactly. Yeah. Or how little it could be <laughs> equally overwhelming. <laughs> you know. Well, because some people think they're bearing loads of fruit, you know, and, and actually... Oh, I always think I should be bearing more fruit. Yeah, well, that's because you're you, Eve. That's right. So, okay, so let's think about this then. God is going to prune us because we're already pruned. And if we're already pruned, we should want the pruning. So now, therefore, every single circumstance in your life, every relationship, every, everything that happens in your life, God will use to prune you. He'll use to prune you. Because that's his promise. He wants you to bear more fruit. So what's your response to that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, not thank you for the thing. We can't possibly thank God for the evil and the terrible things that go on in this world. We're not supposed to thank him for those things. We're supposed to thank him for what he will do in that circumstance. Mm. What he will do, how he will hold me through that circumstance. How he's promised never to let me go. How he's promised to work good out of a tragedy beyond tragedy. How he has promised that though I can't see it, he is refining me and purifying me. And that in the end, in the end, when I stand before him face to face, he will put his arms around me and give me explanation and I will just say, thank you, God. I can't thank him now for things that have happened in my life. I can't because they were bad things. They were bad by any description. And that's not, that's, you know, people over-spiritualize. They try to spiritualize everything. Oh, well, you know, you know, there are some things so bad. What are you supposed to do with them? But, but the whole point of it is Believing in Jesus means that he walks beside us. He walks in front of us and behind us. We never walk alone. Mm. Mm. We are never left on our own. Mm. And that we have a hope, a hope, a confident expectation that one day I will be in glory. Mm. And that my God will take care of me on that way. Mm. Do you see what I mean? And I was thinking about it this morning, and I don't know why, but I had this picture in my head. I've always thought about Jesus as being the life jacket, you know, that you're drowning. The ship's, you're on the Titanic and it's sinking. 
and, and, and someone throws you a life jacket. Jesus is the life jacket, right? So you take that life jacket. I've believed in Jesus. And you put that life jacket on. But you're still in the water. And it's going to take a long time before the new boat or ship comes to pick you up. You've got to stay in that water. And it's still churning. And you might have to stay in that water for quite a long time. But while you're in the water, you know that you still have the life jacket on. That you are not going to be lost for eternity. Mm. And while you're in that water with that life jacket on, you will be screaming for all your might, take the life jacket. Because there's life jackets coming off the boat, being thrown to all the people around you. And you'll be saying, take the life jacket. It will keep you alive. Take the life jacket. It's keeping me warm. It's keeping me afloat. That's what we're doing. Have you trusted in Jesus? He's your life jacket. But we're still in that water and there's still a storm raging. Do you see what I mean? And because we want to be make, bringing him glory, because we want to be bearing fruit, we don't want to get out of the water always. I mean, we do a lot of the time because we're weak. But, but you know what I mean? We, we can say, Lord God, it's going to get really hard. I can see a wave coming that I'm not sure I can survive. But you've promised to see me through that. Do you see? So, in some ways, the pruning, the process that goes on, though it's hard, though it's difficult, though it might be disciplined sometimes, it might just be the fact that we live on a fallen planet and we have to face stuff in this world that's just more terrible than we can imagine. But nonetheless, that pruning is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. That's what Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 3. This momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And if you believe those words, you are almost certainly saved. Mm. But that is over there at that day, because I am confident that I need, you know, um, whatever the text is. Um, but how is that outworking now? Oh, okay, well, you tell me. Can I give you a simple, a, a simple um, example this evening? I was in the garage paying for my fuel, and the chap rushed in and said, "I'm put money in the, it put fuel in the car, and I haven't got any money. I, my wallet is left at work." So the girls behind the till said, uh, uh, um, "You know, what are we going to do then?" You know, they were sort of a bit, I don't know, they were a bit flustered. So I said, "I'll pay for it." So he looked at me and he said, he's a big fellow, only wearing, in this cold weather, a, um, a day-glow jacket, you know, bare-chested. And, and he, he said, oh, you staggered. And I said, uh, I said, it's okay. So the lady said, well, how do you get your money? You know, you don't want to do this. And I said, look, he's just coming and told you the truth that he's put fuel in. He hasn't got his money. I said, that's enough, isn't it? So we, I, I said to him, I paid for it. And I said, I said, I'll see you outside. So he goes, we went outside. And he said, I'm Gosmack. He said, what's that? He said, you're a top man. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> See? So that was just a... And that made me... And I felt... And I do now still feel really good. Yeah. I'm really good about it. Yeah. He gave his address. He took the number. And he said... When he, and his, his old father was in the car as well. And he didn't have any money. And he shook my hand. <laughs> and I saw him. I was inside with Jesus. And that's why I've done it. And, and it, so it was a big sort of snowball effect. And I feel really happy about it. Uh, and... And he said, uh, then he said, oh, he said, oh well, um, I'll drop it back in your door. And he said, I'll give you £30 because I'm just so chuffed, as it were, you know. <laughs> but now on Sunday, I prayed for a lady 
who I prayed for before, and I just said to her, how, is, how are you with your migraines? And she said, uh, oh, it's still there. And I said, well, could you try and pray again? And she said, uh, uh, yes. And so I prayed again for her. And then she said, and then I said, how is it? She said, um, uh, oh, still there, you know, probably think. And she's a Christian singer in the church, etc. And I said to her, I said, I said, the problem is, I said, perhaps you don't believe. Absolutely, I would have she, punched you. I would have punched you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But then what I meant is so difficult, isn't it? In English language, it's so difficult. What I meant was, yeah. See, I made mistakes. I made a big mistake, and I felt terrible about it. Yeah. Um, well, God made it up to you today. Well, it did, yeah. But, um, but you see, yeah, yeah, she should have hit me. Okay, she might have done. But I felt desperately bad about it. I said, look, what I really mean to say is, okay, you've been prayed for before. But and with other people, but this just might be your time, if 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 you could really just believe. Or it might be that. Or or it might be, Mike. Yeah, but how do we know? I don't know. I just don't. I don't think we've got to stop this. There's belief and belief. There's not. There's belief. That's it. There's belief. So then she don't believe. No. No. Just because she's not healed of her migraine and she's angry about it, I'd be angry about it. If I had everybody praying for me and I still had a headache or a migraine, (laughs) I'd say, for goodness sake, okay, I'm I'm mad. Yes. But she's fed up with it. And also, there's people who never get healed, and it's not that their faith is lacking. Their faith is actually growing amazingly, often. Absolutely. Shame on you, Mike. Shame on you. <laughs> I know, good. You feel bad and even worse now in the corner. <laughs> I know, now we're going to put you back in. No. I, you know, exactly. And we'll be kind and merciful and forgiving. Yeah. No, I'm, only, I'm sort of half kidding, but I do think that that is a big statement to make that you didn't believe enough. There's so much no, tragedy, Mike. I, 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 well, you didn't believe. Yeah, she threw her head back as if... Yeah, of course you'd hit her. Really, yes, she yes. was really angry. Yes, mm. yes. And I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't no. prepared for it. Uh, well, I didn't know how to handle it. And so all of this room would have been angry with you too. So, so you need to practice. We can, we can help you to practice, Mike, if you like. We can get angry with you in turn, you know. Um, okay, so... So those verses then, what Jesus wants us to understand, I think, is it's impossible to be a believer and not bear fruit. It's impossible. The two things, they're just complete, is it an oxymoron? Yes, it can't, I don't know if it's that. Anyway, it can't happen. You can't be a branch and not bear fruit. You cannot be a believer, not bear fruit. You will bear fruit. The fruit, obviously, I think the fruit he's talking about here is the making of disciples because he's talking to the 11 who are going to start the church. So I think that definitely he's talking about the fruit of bringing people to Christ. But, of course, there is other fruit. There's the fruit of the Spirit, you know, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self, self-control, all of that. And that, too, will be brought through as you abide in Christ. So you will notice a change in your character. You will, because God's making your character. So, you know, I think we die with our personalities intact, but he forms the character in us. And he he forms the character in us as the circumstances in our lives come at us and he uses them to shape us and mould us and turns what is ashes into beauty. But it's still ashes. He just transforms it in the way that he deals with us through it. Um, So 
Jesus says that God is sanctifying us, basically, in our language. He's sanctifying us. And to the extent, I firmly believe this, to the ex- well, it doesn't matter what I believe, what I think he's saying is to the extent that you go along with the work of God, i.e. understanding he is going to prune you, life is not going to be easy, but he's going to use it to shape you and mould you into a fruit-bearing branch. To the extent that you align yourself with that work, the more of Christ's joy you will feel. That's what he says in verse 11. I tell you these things, that my joy may be in you and your joy made full. And that's a tremendous statement because what he's saying is we don't just get joy, we get his joy. His joy. We don't just get peace, we get his peace. We just don't get, if we abide in him, we don't just get gent- his, our own gentleness, we get his gentleness. Because it's his life coming through us. I don't know about you, I don't want my own joy, I want his. I don't want my own peace, I want the peace of Christ. And that's the promise. That's the promise. Um, and he's going to do it all so that we bear fruit. And as we bear fruit... We glorify him, and as we glorify him, we find we receive joy, and as we receive joy, we want to glorify him more, and so it goes on and on and on and on, until you are this laden branch full of of grapes. Do you remember when the two spies went into the promised land, and they carried a back with them between two men, they put a... Uh, grapes on and they had to carry it on a pole between two men because it was so heavy there was so much fruit in it that's the fruit of the promised land isn't it that's the fruit promised to us in the land that we live in if we align ourselves with the Lord and with his work amazing (laughs) amazing Uh, we're going to finish with um, oh yeah yeah just one more thing Uh, he says to the disciples um Uh, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain and that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Twice he talks about asking in his name and he links it to bearing fruit. Twice, I think it's in verse 8 and verse 16. Yeah, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Uh, no, no, sorry, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the asking for whatever you wish is linked to bearing a lot of fruit. And then in verse 16, same thing. Um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. What is the purpose or what, what are you going to be asking the Father for? See, we take, we take those verses and we just pluck them out and that means I can ask for the Father anything in Jesus' name and he's going to give it to me. No, that he's connecting this with bearing fruit. He's connecting it. He's saying the Father is glorified if you bear fruit. So therefore, you can ask for whatever you want if you're asking for, to bear fruit. Well, to bear fruit, to live for his glory so that the fruit either of the Spirit in you or to make disciples. I did not choose you, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. 
you know, people take that and they talk about it like God chose, okay, I'm going to have Caroline, but I'm not going to have Pete. And I'm going to have Eve, but I'm not going to have Andy. I'm choosing these people, but I'm not choosing those people. You know, I hear, why does Jesus say to these 11, you didn't choose me, but I chose you? Why does he say that to them? Because they live in a culture where the, the um, disciples chose the rabbi they would follow. They chose. And so he's turning that upside down on them and saying, you didn't choose to follow me, I chose you. Why did he choose them? What does he say? We were adopted, weren't we? Yeah, but I don't think he's talking about us, Deborah. I really don't. I think he's talking about these 11 disciples. I chose you and appointed you that you would bear much fruit. What was the fruit that they bore? Right? The church. They gave, I mean, the Holy Spirit, obviously, but he used those 11 to give birth to the church. So, actually, ultimately, you and I owe our salvation to those 11 disciples. So, Jesus chose that 11, those 11 men, and he ordained, appointed them to go and bear fruit, and they bore fruit. And he, yes, but he, they remained in him. They all mm. remained in him. Mm. So the scripture says salvation is of the Jews. Yes. When we throw the, the, the Jews out, as many churches have done, they don't realise what they did. No. With replacement theology. So we're so hopeless, aren't we, in the West? Because, because yeah. we don't understand the things you're explaining about being his own, yeah. um, Jeremiah, the verses. No, we don't. And they would understand immediately. You didn't choose me, I chose you. They would immediately understand that what, what that means. But we link that to salvation, always. We always link that to salvation. But actually, um, I've changed my mind a little bit on salvation. This will come as a shock. I know it will come as a shock to you, Mike. So we'll have to talk about it later sometime. So don't, yeah, no. So, no, I'm going to say it because I've really, it's taken a long few months, but I've come to a different conclusion. I do not believe that God chose some people before time began for salvation. I believe that he chose that everyone who trusted his son would be saved. His so choice... Says, I chose you before the foundation of the world. You're not, you don't... It doesn't say, actually, I chose you before the foundation of the world. You're quoting half the sentence, which we all do. I, uh, for you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. So anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, Acts chapter 13, verse 2, will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Anyone who wants God and comes through Jesus is saved. You would all say that. You would all say that. So that means anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what I believe now, totally, and I, I think I can back it up from Scripture, is that God decided before he created the world that Jesus would have to come. He knew that Jesus would have to come. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And, G and God decided that he would save everyone who put their trust in Christ. So it's not that he, he 
that you're in charge because you're not, because you could believe from now until the end of eternity and still not be saved. It's only that God chose to put you in Christ. Yes. See what I mean? So it's still his choice. He's still in charge, but he made the choice to save those who put their trust in Christ. Yes. And he made the choice to make them holy and blameless because they had put their trust in Christ. And he foreordained, predestined yes. those who put their trust in Christ to glory. It, I can't tell you, it's taken me so long. It's still free will to choose, is what you're saying. Free will to choose. Free will to choose. You have to choose. But he's decided, if you choose me, oh my goodness, I'm wrapping you up in that blanket and you will be saved. And that makes sense because he says he wants everybody to save. Exactly. Yeah. Of course he wants Exactly. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And that's what started me. It makes no sense. I talk about two tracks, and, and, but in the end you could not understand it. You couldn't understand how that worked. And even when I taught it, I said, you can't understand it. You just have to accept it. But that's not good enough because God wrote 66 books and he wants us to understand him. So there must be a way of understanding it where he's still in charge, but everyone has free will. And can come to salvation. Yes, yes, yes. No, no. That's uh, yeah. I'm not going down that road. I can go down that road. I, t I can tell you. I'll show you my books, my notebooks. I've made a lot. It is. It is. But you see, I can understand it, Simon. If I say, if if I hear God say to me. I decided before time began that the destination of everyone who trusts Jesus is heaven. That makes sense. Yes, it makes sense. And, and, it, and it actually, you know, probably doesn't matter that it makes sense to us because we've got pea brains, but it matters because we, we're representing Christ and we're representing the God who said he loved the whole world. And yet we're trying to say that he didn't choose everybody in the world. Which means that when somebody really objects, there's the little thing yeah. that says, well, maybe they're not chosen. Exactly. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. exactly it. I mean, I've, oh, I, I know that God stands on the right side of our life the whole time, and he calls to us, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And he calls every day of our lives in different ways he calls. So why would it be that he's making that call if there were some people he didn't want? It just doesn't make sense. So, anyway, that's that. I remember this being a very big chestnut in the Baptist church. Yes. Yes. Anyway, so um, what's discipleship then? What did those 11 do? He appointed them that they would bear fruit and that their fruit, fruit would remain and their fruit did remain. Mm -hmm. They bore fruit. They brought people to the Lord Jesus and they founded a church. The church is built, on, I know the Holy Spirit, of course, but... Uh, Paul will write that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So they are the foundation and they did build the church. And so... Of course we are. We're all fruit of that. But also the thing is, Deborah, what's amazing is they shared what they knew. They shared it in what they said and they shared it in how they lived. And that's what he, they're calling us to do. That's what they're saying. Imitate, as Paul says all the time, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what they all essentially said. Live like I'm living, speak like I'm speaking, because I'm living like Christ and speaking like Christ. So essentially, we're just passing it on, aren't we? We're just passing on the truth about Jesus. Yes. That's discipleship. 
that's making disciples, that's being a disciple. And we'll finish on Ephesians. I said we were finishing, but then I went off on one. So Ephesians 3, these wonderful verses. Uh, Paul prayed um, that we would come to understand the fact that we have Christ's life and we have his love and we have his peace and all of that. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, um, well, I'll start in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Um, <laughs> that's why we renew our minds, so that we can be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's why we do this. That's why, we, you know, that's why I come here every Tuesday. That's why I study. That's why I do everything that I do, because it's, it's all for me, <laughs> because it brings me closer to God. It brings me closer to God. And I know that the closer I am to God, the more fruit he will bring forth from my life. And that's what I want. And that's what I want. So, Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for your word, which is amazing, Lord. Thank you that you use it to renew our minds. Thank you that, um, that we can trust that, that you will do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine, that you are at work in us, Lord God, those of us who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus, and thank you for that, Father. And thank you that though so often our lives seem to be so full of everything but fruit, Lord, you have promised that you will, through us abiding in Jesus and him abiding in us, that you will bring forth fruit that will remain, actually, and we thank you for it, Lord, because we find in such a strange way that that's what we want. We want to glorify you. We want to bear fruit for you. And so I praise you, Lord, and thank you that you who began this good work in us will see it through to completion and that you are leading us on ever closer to you. And I, th I just praise you, Lord, for that and thank you. I ask you to protect everybody in this room, myself included. Keep us, Lord God. Keep us safe. Keep us secure in our knowledge of you. You say that you protect us through faith. Oh, Lord God, help us to continue on in this faith so that we can understand more of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.